Josie DeVidio is a woman with too much time on her hands and a curiosity to explore the human experience with a passion to bring entertaining and informative content to your ears. Real talk, real people. This is Josieology. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Josieology. I am your host, Josie DeVidio. I am a mom, a podcaster, and somewhat of a screen addict. Whether it's my phone, a computer, or a TV, in this day and age, there's always some kind of screen in front of my face. So my guest today is my longtime friend, Hillary Wilkinson, who is a wife, a mom, an educator, and co-founder of Healthy Screen Habits, a nonprofit organization that educates and empowers families to create healthy habits for screen use by raising awareness, providing tools, and creating change in the community. Hillary, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me, Josie. I'm excited to be here. So I really should credit you for the existence of the Josiology podcast, because if you remember several months ago, we met up for dinner with our husbands, and I was telling you that I had just finished reading 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You by Tony Ranke. Yes. And you told me that you and your friends had formed a nonprofit organization on this very subject, and your mission was to bring awareness about the issues humanity is facing due to the digital revolution. Yes. So, you know, that led to an in-depth conversation about screen habits and how technology is changing humanity. And I said, we we need to do a podcast on this. You know, that's the best way to put this information out there on a broader scale. I love that. I love that you used the platform of technology to expand other people's knowledge about it. I mean, that is truly using technology for what it was intended for and for the tool that it can be. So hooray for you. <laughs> so yes. Yeah, so thank you for prompting me to want to do that. And yes, the, the irony is not lost on me that technology runs our lives and is also somewhat unraveling humanity at the same time. Yes. So tell me what prompted you and your friends to start Healthy Screen Habits. So it kind of seemed as though we were having repeated conversations on the same topic. Just like you and I that night at dinner, we have children of the same age. We're all raising families. We're all trying to move forth in this new age of technology. And all of our conversations were stemming from this same nucleus of screen time a lack of control of how we were supposed to navigate this whole field of parenting within technology and through technology. And it stemmed from there. We were a group of moms of varying professions. And at one point, it was kind of like a tipping point where we just said, okay, let's go. Let's do this. And since then, we've been very committed to expanding our outreach through education, through parent talks. We have social media, which again, like you said, I'm not missing out on the irony of talking about the trickiness of navigating social media. It's a tricky balance. I feel like we're seeing an unprecedented change in the human condition Am I imagining this or are there now studies showing that this is what's happening and and why should we care? Oh, you're not imagining it for sure. So technology came at us really fast. 
1975 was the first garage meeting that inspired Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak to design the, the original Apple One computer. And it was only 32 years later that the smartphone was introduced. When you consider that sociologists rank a generation in groups of 20 years, that's less than a generation and a half. We went from having big clunky computers that belonged in buildings to literally carrying around something in our pocket that holds more processing capability than all of NASA's computers that put a man on the moon in 1969. So that alone is something to pay attention to because technology evolved without a sense of values or moral compass. And what we're observing is kind of devastating when you consider the number of teens, young adults, and even older adults that are suffering from stress-induced illnesses, anxiety, suicide ideation, and sadly, even the finality of suicide. So it is definitely changed the scope of the human condition socially. And there are plenty of studies and research that are out there. There's that saying that says knowledge is power. Yes. But now everybody with their phone has the ability to have all of that knowledge that's available to us in their pocket. But with power comes responsibility. And not everybody knows how to be responsible with the technology and with what is available to them. For sure. And I think that's, in at least in the teenage age range, that's something that seems very obvious and prevalent to me, not having studied any of this. Teenagers, they don't even know what they should or should not post, what they should or should not communicate through social media or digital technology, because people will use stuff against you if you're not careful. So yes, they've been given like, here's a very powerful tool, carry it around with you all the time, but no one has taught them how to be responsible with it. And I think that moving forward, that's something that will maybe be put into place um, because now we see how we were lacking in that when the technology first hit. I agree. I agree completely. And I think people are thirsty for the knowledge of how to handle parenting because you can see the effects that it has. Typically in middle school is when parents first take that dive into getting their children a smartphone. But the effects that we're seeing go earlier than that when it comes to the effects of technology and development. And I mean, if you want to go as early as infancy and toddlers, we're seeing a lack of connection Dan Siegel is a researcher out of UCLA who has done a lot of focus and study on memory building, on implicit and explicit memory. Implicit memory is the memory that's formed kind of prior to age three. From three and above, it's more what we call explicit memory, which is more of your storytelling memory. It's stuff that you remember learning how to, I remember how to ride my bike. I remember how to do this. You don't really remember how you learned your space in the world. And that happens in those very, very early years of zero to three. And what we're seeing is moms who are no longer, and this, I, I'm not meaning to place blame on anything. I mean, there is no shame in doing what we didn't know what we weren't doing. So <laughs> this is a shame-free space. But the concern exists when we're seeing moms who are, there's a new term that's come about called brexting, 
which is breastfeeding while texting. And you know, that maternal gaze that happens between the infant and the mother with the feeding process, even during early infancy, this is where an example where technology has been able to kind of give us a peek inside brains and you can see what areas of the brain are lighting up. All of that stuff that we've classically called bonding happening, which is the building blocks of empathy, is happening during those very early times. Now, when the moms are shifting their gaze and looking and, you know, texting, scrolling, etc., essentially multitasking while doing that first connecting moves, it changes the way infants' brains are firing. And that holds long-range concern. Yeah, I remember when we discussed that at dinner that I really found that fascinating because, you know, our listeners don't have the benefit of a visual, but the visual you gave me was really profound. So imagine you're holding your baby and you're either breastfeeding or you have a bottle in their mouth. And so naturally, it used to be natural that if you were holding a bottle, let's say, you would hold the bottle in their mouth and you would look at your baby's head and your baby's face. But nowadays, what's happening is people are figuring out a way to hold the bottle with the left hand that's also cradling the baby so that they can use their right hand to do the texting away from the baby. And now you're not even facing your baby, you're looking away. And so that's already sending a subliminal message to this baby that there's something else that's occupying your time that's more important than you as the baby. Right. The phone has become the most important thing in the room. And that has very damaging effects. When the maternal infant bond, I mean, there are all types of studies that go on. I mean, you look at failure to thrive syndrome, you look at basic survival thing, that touch, that gaze, all of that stuff. Like it or not, we are hardwired evolutionarily to really, that pings all of the areas for an infant to feel secure and loved and know their place in the world. Interestingly, the infancy eyesight is not fully developed. As anybody who's had a newborn knows, they can't see clearly for quite a while. And the distance that an infant can see at birth is relatively about eight to 10 inches. Where if you take the crook of your elbow, again, using your left elbow, crook of your elbow, and put your hand there, kind of mimicking the space of where an infant's head would be, if you measure that, that is approximately about 8 to 10 inches. So that tells you how important biologically that gaze was because the infant has come hardwired to both feed nutritionally as well as emotionally upon that gaze of the mother. Right. Excellent point. I think we're also born hardwired to know when we're being paid attention to or not. Yes. Yes. It doesn't have to even be as obvious as a looking away with your cell phone. It's, you know, you could be watching TV, you could be talking with someone else. I mean, instinctually, we know if someone is paying attention to us or not. I tend to have that issue. I'm going to confess when my boys walk into the room to talk to me, because usually I'm on my computer or on my phone taking care of some text or email and they come in and part of me blames their own situational awareness. Like they just come into the room and just start talking at me. (laughs) And I'm like, well, wait, I'm in the middle of something. 
But the reality is I do find it very hard. I have to remind myself, stop what you're doing, put the phone down, turn your computer away from you because it's usually my laptop and focus on them, like look at their face. And the fact that I actually have to say this to myself internally is really distressing to me that that's not a natural inclination anymore where it used to be. Right. And, you know, the consequences of this digital revolution, it's going to be pretty profound and impactful. And we are concerned about it because we remember life before the digital revolution. That's exactly what I always, I, I start off telling parents, we hold a great responsibility as a generation of parents who, A, we are the first generation to be doing this. And so we need to move forward with intention and care. We need to be very aware of what we're doing. But even more interestingly, and I mean, I try to be objective about it, but we are the last generation of parents who will remember the before. Right. That kind of goes right into this whole trend that we're seeing of social anxiety and increased rates of unhappiness, et cetera. And I find great concern in that with having a generation of young adults and children who have never been given the time for boredom. And boredom, as it turns out, is the birthplace of creativity. Um, Robert Persick, who was a great American philosopher, I mean, that was his quote that I love. And it's, boredom is the birthplace of creativity. When we look back at our own lives and our own in-depth knowledge of ourselves, of what truly makes us happy, going back to a previous Josiology podcast, (laughs) the uh, Walk on Water, the surfing mission that you covered, it's generally during this time of development of tween, teen, young adult, that you're kind of figuring out what makes you, you, what makes you tick and how you can fill your soul, whether it's through a creative outlet, whether it's through an athletic reading, or I mean, any one of a number of ways, working with animals, doing social work, et cetera. This is when you find this out. And we have a well of knowledge being people who were given the time to do that. So that we know when we're having a bad day, I'm going to go home and I'm going to go take my dog for a hike because I know that always makes me feel better. We're raising a generation of kids who have been so screened, uh, I call it being screened up. They've been so screened up. They've not been allowed the time to explore what makes them tick. And unfortunately, what they do is they turn to the screens because they know that the screens are a source of comfort, a source of pleasure. It's, you know, they've been given an implicit message that it's the most important thing in the room. Right. They're looking for social connections and identity building within a very false construct, within a very two-dimensional world. And it's also why it is so devastating when you see online bullying even doxing, which is where people will go and post your personal information online. And it rocks people to their foundational core, especially if they don't have any of those reserves to fall back on. You know, I'm not one for quoting popes, but (laughs) 
Pope Francis back in May of 2015 said that true wisdom is the result of deep reading, self-examination, and dialogue and generous encounters between persons. Yes. Person-to-person contact that I think when you start peeling back the layers of this onion, that is the thing that becomes the most concerning. When you look at the empathy deficit, which is, I mean, if you take a minute and think of that phrase that it even exists is very frightening. There's a whole industry starting to be built on empathy workshops that can be taught in high schools. It doesn't start on a screen. I think it's because most people nowadays are using digital technology to fill up like the silent gaps in their life. But the reality is that online attention or interaction is a terrible substitute for true intimacy right? Yes. I love learning. So I love being on there and researching and learning. Oh, oh, this is how you do this. And let me watch that video. But when we have information overload, we stop learning how to live wisely, how to think deeply and how to live generously because it's not even a one-on-one interaction. It's a, it's a monologue, you know, whatever the equivalent of a monologue is. Right. You start living in an echo chamber and with the algorithms on social media feeds, I'm sure if you've noticed it starts prompting you with things that it's like, oh, like for example, the stuff that I start getting fed with is, oh, world's largest dog breed, like type clickbait type stuff on my feeds versus my husband who has all kinds of World War II paraphernalia, (laughs) historical (laughs) things. So, you know, when you talked about the challenge of setting down your phone or of turning your laptop away when a three-dimensional person, even more importantly, a family member, your son walks into the room, I can tell you, do not beat yourself up that you're having a hard time doing that because they are not designed to encourage human interaction. They are designed to keep you pulled in. Right. Tristan Harris, who is a Google ethicist, has a great quote where he said that the tech platform has been in a race to reach the bottom of the brainstem. Your brainstem is what controls breathing, digesting, your autonomic nervous system, all of those things that you cannot ignore, fight or flight type stuff. And the tech platform is racing to get there. And between that and we have a neurotransmitter called dopamine. A neurotransmitter is a chemical messenger within our brain that allows the transmission of signals across a synapse. And dopamine's job is to transmit the signals of focus and craving and motivation. The algorithms are such that they are preying on our dopamine release and response. So that pull that you feel every time you get a notification or every time that you're having to turn something away is no different than the pull an addict feels from a behavioral or a substance type addiction. It's merely being produced within your own brain. Hillary, when we come back, I want to go over a famous Boston Globe photo that went viral because of what it was really saying about humanity now in the tech world. Super. Hey friends, I've been using an app called Bark to keep my kids safe online. It's such a cool program that I wanted to share it with you. 
It monitors your kids' phones and 24 different internet platforms, including social media, YouTube, and their emails. And it sends parents notifications only when sketchy activity pops up. Things like sexting, cyberbullying, or online predators. It's a no-brainer, and you know I'm all about keeping it simple and sharing, so I secured a discount for you. Check out bark.us for a free seven-day trial and 20% off if you sign up using the promo code Josiology at checkout. Feel free to tell a friend as it takes a village to keep our kids safe these days. And Josiology is looking out for you. All right. So Hillary, back in September of 2015, the cast of a movie called Black Mass starring Johnny Depp was in Boston and they were doing a screening of their movie at a local theater. And of course, when word got out that Johnny Depp was going to be in town, chaos ensued and folks were lining up to get a glimpse of him and the cast. And, you know, they set up at the theater, those little guardrails that you see at parades so that people can stand behind them to, you know, watch the event without interfering with the the cast. But Boston Globe photographer John Blanding took a photo of the crowd, and this photo ended up going viral. And I'm going to put the photo up in the Josiology Podcast private Facebook group if listeners want to see it. If you're not already a member of the group, you're invited to join us, but you'll need a password to get in. And the password for today is Boston. Anyway, the photo is of the crowd behind one of those guardrails. And the whole crowd, you can tell, is facing towards what is likely the cast entering the theater because they're all looking really attentively in that direction. And the reason the photo went viral is because everyone is holding up a cell phone towards the action. And most people are watching the event through their cell phones. They are not even looking at the event itself. There are two people who are filming the event on their phones, but while they're holding their phones, they're actually looking with their own eyes at the actual event. And then there's one guy in the photo that's looking down at his phone and not even looking at the event in front of him or bothering to film it. But the reason the photo went viral is because in the midst of all of those people with their cell phones, there was one older woman, probably in her 70s, who was just living in the moment and enjoying the event without having to document it. And beaming. I mean, just looks so happy. Yeah. And so it really was capturing what has happened to us. You know, how we were saying on the top half of the show, how technology is changing humanity, that we can't even enjoy the event. You know, we have to document it. And in the book that I read that I mentioned also at the top of the show uh, called 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. uh, And I'll have that listed in the show notes if you're interested in learning more about that. But the author brings up the point that anything except for a live thing will never do something justice, right? So we can be at the beach and see a beautiful sunset and it's amazing. And let me get my phone and take a photo of it. It just is, it's beautiful photo, but it's never as good as just looking at the sunset. Even if you have one of those fancy DSLR cameras and you're a professional photographer, you're going to capture an amazingly beautiful image but it's still not as good as experiencing the actual sunset. So I think that's one thing that we as adults need to remember because everybody in this photo, uh, the Boston Globe photo, is an adult. It's not like these are teenagers who don't know what they're doing, you know? We cannot lose sight of the fact that we have to remember to live in the moment. Is it nice to document things? Sure. Is it 
cool to see Johnny Depp and try to get a picture. Sure. But let that be a split second or a moment of that period of time. Don't let it be the whole time that you're participating in this event. Otherwise, you're living your life behind the screen and through a screen instead of actually living in the moment. I totally agree. There's a, I always find it interesting when colloquialisms or slang terms start making their way into modern culture and they reflect behavioral changes that we're seeing. And one of the words that unhealthyscreenhabits.org or on, on Instagram uh, at healthyscreenhabits, I do a post called Words on Wednesday and I feature some of these words. And the word I'm thinking of right now is called sharenting. It is the result of how parenting has become more of a publication than a practice where no matter for whatever our child is participating in, has achieved, or even is having a less than great day, people are feeling compelled to take images of these moments and share them online which it's very interesting because then when we give our teens phones, one of the things that we drill into them is anything you post online will be there forever. Like your digital footprint is forever. Well, are we thinking of those moments when we're taking a picture of our three-year-old who's just gotten a hold of the scissors and, you know, given a creative haircut or something like that? I mean, those images will also be on there forever. I think we as parents have to be very respectful and responsible with what we're posting and in our sharenting. It's a tricky balance. And the other interesting thing that happens when kids are photographed in whatever activity they're doing, we're also kind of stealing from them that moment of living in the moment where in their mind, they looked a certain way. And the best example I have of that is a story of a woman whose son was very into surfing, had requested a surfing birthday party, and she pulled it off great. They hired a surf school. It was the whole thing. And she, of course, went crazy that day taking pictures and doing all the stuff. And it was a big lesson for her when her son that night was going through the photos and it really upset him to look at the photos. She asked why, you know, what's going on? And in his mind, he looked like, you know, Laird Hamilton out there on the waves. And in his mind, he was living the dream. And what he saw on the photos was, you know, a seven-year-old with bad hair and sunscreen. (laughs) (laughs) When we come from that place of recognizing, in some ways, you can be stealing those memories from your child in your attempt to document them. It just, it puts a different lens on it. What I recommend is that parents set a photo limit for themselves. So going into a special day, a special game, what, whatever you're doing, set a limit for yourself. Just like we used to have organically back in the days of cameras with real film. Right. When you knew you only had 32 exposures, you boy, you were careful about how you took those. 
Right. And for a birthday, set yourself. I'm going to get a picture of the kid with the cake. I'm going to get a group picture with the friends and maybe one activity shot. And then that's it. And let your child have their day. Let your child have their time and their experience. And those little snapshots are all they need to trigger those memory buildings. They don't need a play-by-play. Right. And you won't either. So. Yeah. I mean, it's tricky because I know that some people are going to hear this episode and maybe feel a little triggered themselves because they're going to be like, well, I don't do that or feel judged or whatever. But the reality is we have all succumbed to this, whether we think we're beyond it or not. Completely. It's a slow fade, right? It, it, it just kind of seeps in insidiously. You don't realize it's happening, but all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute. You know, if you really take a cold, hard look at what you're doing and, and why you're doing it, you will start to have some of these clues that it's starting to take over, you know, your life. Cell phone addiction is like the new yawn. You know, when you're with a group of people, if one person yawns and all of a sudden everybody is yawning, it's the same with cell phones. If I'm hanging out with people and as soon as one person picks up their phone, it's like permission for everybody to pick up their phone. There you feel the dopamine. Yeah. There you go. You're triggered. Yeah. You know, is it bad to check your phone with when you're with friends? You know, I'm not going to make that judgment call, but the point is the technology has changed our behavior. Yeah. That's the bottom line of today's episode is to be aware of how human behavior, human interaction has been changed and it will have long-term effects and we need to be aware of it now and start recognizing it and knowing how to put limits for ourselves so that we don't perpetuate the problem. Completely. And to that end, it's also great to point out to your kids how far technology has been able to take us. There's the obvious go-tos of the medical sciences, of navigation. Oh my gosh. I mean, Google Maps has changed my life. (laughs) (laughs) Completely. As somebody who was not born with an internal compass, I completely am reliant upon the navigational tools. But it's also important for our kids to see us enjoying technology, us enjoying it through Skyping with grandparents who live across country or maintaining a connection with a cousin who lives in Michigan while we live in California. And there's so many wonderful ways that technology helps us and allows us a greater existence. It's just up to us to, like you said, self-reflect and really kind of take a deep dive into what is my purpose with this? Am I using it Or is it somehow manipulating me? Yeah, I mean, there's so much that technology can do for us. Like, you know, I never have to leave my house, honestly. I can order food in. I could order groceries (laughs) in. I can order, you know, cleaning supplies in. I could literally become like a community of one, right? (laughs) But the irony is that we want to be connected online, right? So that's why social media is so popular because we want to be connected online. But when we go out into the real world, you know, how many of us put our earbuds in because we don't want anybody to talk to us, you know? Right. Social media and smartphones and all that is almost causing a social reversal, you know, where we desire to be alone in public. Yeah. There's a saying that like, we've never been more connected yet more alone. Yeah. And that is creating this epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And the way you get through that is through person-to-person contact. You know, which 
admittedly can be awkward and hard because people are difficult sometimes. Yes. But the more that we isolate from them, it's kind of like iron sharpens iron. The more we have to interact with people, the the more refined we become in our interactions. If I do something that annoys you, you're a good friend to me, you will tell me this is annoying to me, or I don't like this or whatever, and I will become a better person as a result. But when all of us are isolating and we're left to our own quirks and and you know not having to grow or learn, we just become more difficult people to be around. So it is a really vicious cycle if you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good, I love that. Iron sharpens iron. So your organization goes around to various events and speaks. How can listeners reach out to Healthy Screen Habits to have you come speak to them? Okay. Well, we would love to provide any parent ed opportunities possible. We also have done some evenings with our teenage population, teenage audiences to educate and empower them in making good choices and using some of the tools that tech provides us just to keep an eye on our own usage. So those have been really great evenings. You can reach out if you'd like to get to me specifically. I'm at hillary at healthyscreenhabits.org. To check us out, it would be at healthyscreenhabits.org is our website. And on our website, we have tools, we have resources for people who are dealing with specific issues, including pornography exposure for both early accidental pornography exposure or older sets that, you know, you're into a different realm, as well as just increasing your overall awareness of brain health. I'm going to have all those resources on the show notes for this episode. The show notes can be found on the website, josiology.com, under the blog posts tab, and then you'll scroll down and find uh, this episode. Also, if you're listening on your phone and you look at the details or the description for this episode, there should be some show notes listed there with Hillary's contact info. Yes. Also, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Healthy Screen Habits. What are three things that I, Josie DeVideo, can do today to create a healthier habit with my own screen use? One key thing that you can do is have a look at your phone screen and inventory and organize your apps on your screen. And if you know that you are somebody who you see that little Instagram button or you see that Snapchat button and you're inclined to hit it, put it on the third swipe over, okay, or take it, take it down. To do this, you just have to press and hold on your screen and you can, it can allow you to move your apps around. So a little inventory and organization Rarely, rarely, rarely does anybody delete their apps on their phone. And I mean, this kind of causes you to take a moment to pause to think, is this really serving me? When I use this, does it make me feel better? So that kind of is a good self-check. A second thing you can do is to turn off the autoplay on YouTube and Netflix. Some people are not aware that this is a possibility and you can easily do it by going into your settings and on YouTube, finding the autoplay toggle switch. That is a great way to help your kids get a handle instead of watching at my house, it's, you know, two and a half hours of creative hair braiding (laughs) versus, (laughs) versus 
the one, you know, one tutorial. I'm good with two tutorials. I understand you're getting a background knowledge of your topic. When we're looking at an hour and 45 minutes of cute ways to do your hair, I'm telling my daughter, I think we're good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And to learn how to turn off your autoplay on Netflix or YouTube, ironically, use YouTube. It's a great resource for anything you could ever want to learn at all. And there are multiple videos on either how to turn off the autoplay, both on YouTube and on Netflix, on YouTube tutorials. I'll put those in the show notes too. Oh, great. So number three is, this is kind of that moment of truth. It's a little bit like stepping on a scale, whether you want to know this number or not. But we have to come from a place of, okay, here we go. Just just have a look at the hard facts. And you can check your phone usage by using, if you're on an iPhone, using the Screen Time app. And that will give you a hard number on how long daily you have been on your phone. Within Android, you go into, it's part of your operations function and it's called digital well-being. And it gives you the same information. And within these functions, you can set a downtime or a curfew for your digital time. For me, my phone is on a downtime from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. And that is to protect my time with my husband after my kids have gone to bed and my sleep, which we have, you know, worked really hard to protect sleep in our house for all the reasons that if you go to episode, I don't remember the numbers. Five is the uh, sleep solutions for middle-agers, but adults. Yes, episode five on the Josiology podcast, we talk (laughs) about the importance of sleep. And you can also set in the screen time or the digital well-being function, you can also set time limits on apps if you have a person in your family, yourself included, or a child, and you're seeing them spend a little too much time on a certain app. Or if you're just concerned about, you know, you want to increase their awareness Again, no judgment. I mean, it's up to you to decide what is your time amount that you'd like to set, but you can set time limits within the app limits. And using Google Family Link, it works with both Android or iPhones, and it's a tool for family management of screen time. You can set limits on family devices there. So I recommend doing those things. Awesome. If you're a mixed family of both Android and iPhones, that Google Family link is a real good one to use. Those are all awesome tips. I'll see if I can find um, links for those and put them in the show notes so that if you happen to be listening to this when you're driving or working out, you just have to go back to the website and and find uh, the resources there. Hillary, thank you so much for coming on today. And I know that we have just kind of scratched the surface on all this. And I know that you personally have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to tech and the younger kids. Uh, That's my passion. My passion is preschool and younger. Yeah. But within Healthy Screen Habits, we also have teenage subject matter experts as well. So if anyone would like information for a mothers of preschoolers group or for me to come and talk to their mom's group or as part of a birthing clinic, anything like that. I would love to come and share some of the knowledge of what I know and to help everybody move forward with health. That is awesome. Thank you so much for offering that. 
Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Josiology. Be sure to visit Josiology.com to access the show notes and discover fantastic bonus content. To join the conversation, find us on Facebook or Instagram with username at Josiology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.